What a marvelous Savior we have. Amen. I hope you feel full of the glory of God today. And you know that His marvelous love is going to sustain you. Do you know my father turned 80 on Friday? And my mother turned 79 on Thursday. And of course, Christy Gibson turned 50 on Saturday. Yes, she did. And so, everybody I know is getting older. And that's just how life is. William and Kate got married this weekend. And the whole world watched. And we all hope it's going to be a storybook wedding and marriage and that they will have long life and faithfulness together. And we're going to read about a couple now who lived together for at least 60 plus years, maybe 70, we don't know how long Abraham and Sarah lived together. Turn with me to Genesis 23, where the scripture says in verse 1, after this long life of love, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephraim the Hittite was sitting among his people. And he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in their hearing, 
Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered, Abraham, listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites which had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. He buried his dead. I want to suggest a few things to you from Abraham, the father of the faithful, who is not only an example for us when he wins a battle or gives his tithe to Melchizedek or crafts a peace with the people of the land. Not only is he an example to us when he responds to God's call and offers his son Isaac and then the ram as a sacrifice, he is the father of the faithful when he buries his dear wife Sarah. Prepare to lose the people you love. The people you love are mortal and they are going to die. The scripture says a man is given three score years and ten and if by chance it be four score years still the life is full of trouble and sorrow. No matter how long you live you grieve. And death comes to us all. So it is wise for you to prepare to lose the ones you love. This three score and ten is echoed by Abraham Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address when he says four score and seven years ago. And you may wonder where does that phrase come from? It comes from the King James Bible, which tomorrow will celebrate 400 years since its first printing in 1611, commissioned by King James. And there is an excellent article on the front page of the Times-Picayune written by my friend Bruce Nolan this morning, recognizing the long duration and the great impact 
of the King James Version on the language which you and I utter today. 400 years. Now listen. The years go by. And no matter how much you love somebody, that does not prevent their death. And you may think of that mother or grandmother, I just couldn't live without them. But one day, you will. You say, well, how do you prepare for the death of those you love? How do you get ready for such a thing? I have a suggestion for you from many years of standing by the coffin. All right? I suggest to you that the bitterest tears you shed at the funeral of your loved one will be over the things left undone and the words left unsaid. So to prepare for the loss of the one you love, you do today the thing you ought that your heart calls you to do for that one you love. And as difficult as it may be, sometimes you speak the words that you are called to say to the one you love. And you live in a relationship of communication that both demonstrates your love and expresses your love to the people in your life that you treasure. And though it is natural and normal for everybody in this room to stand beside the grave of somebody you love and say, I wish, I wish I had been there. I wish I had said these words. I wish I'd had one last opportunity. If you will, every day, speak your love to the precious people in your life and accomplish the things that demonstrate your love, then you will come to the final parting with greater peace right here. So every day in every way, by loving truly the people you care about and focusing on them as the most important gift in your life, you're preparing for the loss that does inevitably come. No matter if you don't want to think about it, you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to contemplate it. I am that way about my father and my mother who have now outlived their father and their mother by several years. I don't want to think about their passing, but I talk to my dad more than once a week now. I call him and I talk to him because I know someday I'm get, going to get the call that he's gone. Some of you have a disturbed relationship with people that you love and you have let it go on for years. Friend, it makes for a bitter parting. 
when you are not at peace with the people that you love. When there is anger, resentment, and a broken relationship. And this is what I would say to you. Do everything you can to make peace. It will be so valuable and comforting to you on the day of the final parting to know that though you had the years of alienation, you finally came together. Prepare to lose the ones you love and prepare to mourn the ones you love and lose. Abraham loved Sarah for these decades. They lived together as husband and wife. They slept beside each other and had the security of a faithful relationship. And I have known that now for almost 39 years with my sweet wife, Janet Rose Hamilton Crosby. And I can tell you that spending these years together lying beside the one you love, sharing life in all its facets and dimensions, you do truly become one flesh. There is a sense in which that happens on the day you say, I do, and there is a sense in which it is a lifetime of learning to be. And I just mentioned to John By on our 25th anniversary, we spent the anniversary with John, all right? Now, actually, he was our host in Costa Rica. And we had a very memorable 25th. Seeing Mount Arenal and going through the rainforest and all the things we did. I cannot believe it's been nearly 14 years since then. And we have accumulated seven grandchildren. And when our family gets together now, it has expanded. And life marches on. And I will tell you, when Abraham lost Sarah, it tore at his heart. He mourned the one he loved And the gift of all those years did not lessen the pain. Abraham is one of those who went on from that grave to live many more years. Although we do not know much about his life, actually, after the death of Sarah. But I've known so many who when one spouse died, their lives were so intertwined. that the other one soon followed. It did not seem possible for them to continue. I've known spouses who said to me, I sure hope I outlive her. She can't make it without me. (laughs) And after 50 years together, he is hoping that she dies first. Or she will say, I sure hope he goes before I do. He can't put his slippers on without me. Which is more commonly the case. All right? And so he's going to be completely lost if I go first. And there is a kind of love you share after that many years of knowing and caring for one another 
that even in this matter of dying, you're thinking about the other and hoping you are there for every living minute so you can take care of them in that last breath of life. I don't know the emotions of mourning, why we do it, why it wrenches our heart, why it brings the tears and the cries. But I know that it does. And I know that you who love most deeply also mourn most deeply. And there may be somebody in the room who has chosen not to love anymore because it's just too painful to love and lose. But I agree with that little saying that says, better to have loved and lost the one you love than never to have loved at all. And maybe this message is for somebody who has steeled your heart toward love because of the pain it caused you. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you, you need to let your guard down and open up your heart again and learn to love again. And God will heal the wound inside more readily and quickly as you go back to loving. There is no better way than this, sister. Loving people around you, loving them passionately, loving them fully, loving them completely, loving with the risk, although it is a risk, although you take a chance, although you are going to hurt, if you love, it is a better way to live than to steal your heart against it. And so save yourself the pain. But in the process, what you lose is far more dear. Prepare to mourn the ones you love and lose. But know this, because of the death of Christ upon the cross, because of the things we remembered at this table this morning, we will sorrow as Abraham did, but not as those who have no hope. Amen? For if we believe that Jesus died again and rose again from the dead, then we too have, who have followed him will join him in that resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 15 is a response to the fledgling church at Corinth that was wondering about death. And Paul writes to them and says, we're not going to sorrow in the same way others do. We believe that we are going to experience a new life with the ones we love and who have trusted Jesus and that the Father's house includes us all. And it is such a great comfort when you come to the graveside to know Christ as Savior and the sorrow, though it is deep and painful, is different. For having known the Lord Jesus who conquered death. Prepare for the physical aspects of your death. And the death of those you love. Okay, I'm telling you this and it's real practical, okay? This is very practical. Abraham owns no real estate, as far as I can tell. 
The closest he comes to owning anything are the wells that his servants dig for the livestock. And these he fights over. If people come to try to steal the well, he says, wait a minute, we dug that well. But as far as I know, Genesis 23 is the first real estate transaction in the land of promise. And God has promised the whole land to Abraham and his descendants. And the first piece of land they get the title deed to is a burial site. And it is recorded with detail in Genesis 23. You read here a very ancient document which records the details of this transaction. So there will be no doubt about it. Abraham is not only caring for Sarah as he buys this burial ground. He's also caring for his own death. One day he too will be buried beside the one he loves. You say, well, why is that important? I'll tell you why. Because when Abraham dies, guess who shows up? Ishmael. You think there's a potential for fiery sparks in your family gathering? Think about Isaac and Ishmael getting together to bury dear old dad. I tell you, Abraham did a great service to those boys by buying the cave of Machpelah and making it clear he was going to be buried by his dear wife, Sarah. So when, Abraham, when Isaac and Ishmael get together, they don't have to dispute where they're going to bury Abraham. They know. When you take care of those aspects of death for the ones you love and for yourself, that too is an act of love. You can create, dear friend, you can create peace in your family after your departure by taking care of these things. Janet's grandpa rose did this in a beautiful way with his possessions. When he got up in years, he went ahead and split it up between his children. So there was no dispute at his passing. As hard as it is to have the conversation and take care of these things, care for the physical aspects of death for those you love and for you as an act of love on their behalf. You are a steward, not only in this life, but in the next. You are giving your tithe in this life. The stewardship of your legacy is part of your responsibility. Some who have gone on to heaven bless this congregation through their careful planning of their estate. And the reason you sit on these pews in this beautiful building is because C.E. McFarlane thought about blessing the church before he died. And you may never heard of C.E. McFarlane, but that gift from the McFarlanes enabled us to be in this building today. His legacy and that of his wife lives on. So we ought to give some consideration to our future. And I'll tell you this, 
You are the steward of the time which you have. And it's ticking by. It's going fast. What are you going to do of significance in the time you have left? What are you going to do with your life? Are you going to fritter it away? Are you going to look back upon a life and say, like somebody told me this last week, all I have wasted, wasted, wasted? Time is something you never get back. I want you to think about it now, even as a young person. What do you want to accomplish with your life? You have finite days, weeks, months, and years in which to accomplish it. You are not going to live forever. If the Lord does not return, you too will be carried by your loved ones to the grave. So how intense are you about the purpose for which God has called you? To be intentional, focused, and to say, this is what I'm doing with my life, and this is where I'm headed, and this is what I want to accomplish. And to have those things before your eyes and mind and heart, that is a wise thing for you to do. And every day to live it out in a, as a manner of life, the stewardship of what you have. Prepare for your own death. A man who was 114 years old died three weeks ago. He lived in Montana. As far as we know, he was the oldest man living when he passed. They said to him before he died, they say, you got any advice for us? You know what he said? Don't be afraid of death. He said, I know some people are afraid of death. Don't be afraid of dying. God sent Jesus to free us who all our lives were held captive by the fear of death. You read it in Hebrews 2, 13 and 14. Jesus came to liberate you to break those chains so you don't have to go into depression when you think about dying. You can look at your own death and be inspired in the life you live today. Don't be afraid. Jesus took the fear out. Amen? We're going to be with him in glory. He's preparing a place for us. That's what he said. I go to prepare a place for you. I got a place. I got a place. It's my permanent address. Not 4809 Marseille Place, but the Father's house. I got a place with my name on it. That's where I'm going to live eternally. That's my real address. Abraham, he drove his tent peg shallow all his life. He didn't drive him all the way down because he was moving from Hebron and, so, and, and to the next place over and over. He was a nomad. What's your address, Abraham? I don't know. I know his address. He, he's in the bosom of the Father. That was his permanent address. Some of us don't even know where home is. Somebody says, well, where's your home? We've moved so much. We've been so many, 
so, so nomadic in our life, we can't identify a place. I know where your home is. If you know Jesus, it's the Father's house. One of the great things you can do for your loved ones is to make sure they know that you have trusted Jesus as Savior and your eternal future is secure. If you were to die today, would your loved ones gather at the grave and say, hey, we don't have to worry about where he is. He trusted Jesus as his Savior. Don't leave your loved ones standing around the grave hoping that your life was good enough to get you into heaven because they know it's a mixed bag with you. You were never perfect. Your loved ones know that better than anybody. Abraham knew that about Sarah and Sarah about Abraham. And we want to remember the best when somebody passes on, but the real security we have is knowing this person knew he was a sinner and he wasn't trusting in his own good works to save him. He received Christ as Lord and Savior and the free forgiveness of sin bought for him at Calvary by the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. And he is in heaven today not because he was such a good dad or a good husband but because of the goodness of God who rescued him in his sin and cleansed him and made him a new man in Christ. He has a home in heaven. I tell you, the sorrow is different when the loved ones know that the deceased has trusted Jesus as Savior. Do your loved ones know that? Have you told them? Will they have a security and peace as they stand by that grave? It is never too soon to prepare for that, young people. The best thing you can do in preparation for the day of your death is today. Say, I want Christ as my Savior and Lord. I want Jesus in my heart. I don't want to walk another day on this planet without knowing Christ as Lord and having my eternal future secure in him. You say, well, how do you do that? It's simple. You acknowledge you're a sinner. You confess your sin to the Savior. You open your life to the Christ who loves you and receive him as Lord. And having committed your life to him that way, the scripture says, all who receive them, him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God. God so loved the world, including you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Let's bow together. Do you have everlasting life? My father told me, always be ready to pray, preach, or die. Are you ready to die? Not that you want to, but are you ready? Do your loved ones know where your faith is? Have you ever sealed in your own heart that you have indeed trusted Christ as Savior and Lord and that you belong to him?
Maybe this could be the day when you seal that question and settle it firmly in your own heart by praying yourself to the Savior right now, asking for His mercy on your life, confessing your need, acknowledging that He died for you on the cross and rose again from the dead. And having prayed that prayer and wanting to seal this truth, would you in a moment come to a prayer counselor and say, I have trusted Christ and I want to walk with Him the rest of my days. Lord, we pray now that your Holy Spirit will have free access to every heart in the room. And there'll not be one person that will go out of these doors unprepared for eternity. But Lord, that everybody here will have settled in their heart to cast themselves upon the mercy and grace of God and there to find consolation, forgiveness, and new life through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.